What is your state's favorite Christmas cookie? Find it here in the focus group. They're all business, except when they're not. It's the focus group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Focus Group. Tim Bennett here, as always, with my good friend and co-host, Mr. John T. Nash. It's our Christmas week, but this is our semi, I guess, our Christmas show, since uh, some of you will hear the audio on Christmas Day, which will be uh, Saturday, December 25th. We hope you're all having a a happy and uh, healthy holiday, and Merry Christmas if you celebrate. And uh, be sure to join us every week by following along at focusgroupradio.com. All of our media's house are including our podcast, which is TFG Unbuttoned. On today's show, we do our uh, beginning of the show. John and I do some banter, or some people call it nonsense chat. <laughs> and then we do our Caught My Eye piece, two articles that we found in the news that uh, that we speak about. And then we uh, are going to check in with our friends at Deep Discount, one of our sponsors here, with some last-minute gift ideas for you. Or if you're uh, going to somebody's home and need a great, little housewarming gift or hostess gift. It's a great place to uh, pick up some of those items. And then we'll do our business birthday and some shop talk, which uh, we've got some business things. And I, then I think our one of our listeners has recommended that uh, we add a semi, uh, not regular, but uh, maybe now and then segment, which we'll surprise you with at the end of the show, which is something we would do once in a while. And uh, John thinks it was something we should add based upon one of our listeners in Fort Worth, Texas. So you'll have to wait to the end of the show to hear that. Tim, that was the Fort Worth fan. The the Fort Worth fan who, when we were in studio, used to always send Oreo cookies and treats at Christmas. Right. We got Matchbox cars, the whole bit. And we've also had a couple of people ask about the boys in the booth. They are fine. The boys in the booth are fine. And they're at the studio. But we're not in the studio currently. And that happened when we... We're in a lockdown mode and dealing with the event. And the he also brought up the fact that we always call it the event. And it's called the event because if we call anything else, uh, YouTube gets a little, mm. Mm. there you see Tim's face, just rolls his eyes. Like you're on, the fo- you're on the phone trying to unsort things and uh, trying to convince them that that's a word we can use. That's <laughs> no, ridiculous. You got to be David Wavy and tell somebody how to masturbate 15 or 20 different ways. And, uh, you know, finger yourself with something up your rear end. And that's okay. But, but we can't me- we can't mention a the event disease, yeah. a global disease. <laughs> that's a problem. That's anyway, not- I, I, I had a, I had a question. I had some friends over over the weekend and um, Patrick and Howard were listeners of the show. We had some other friends over, too. And we were talking about remember my days at Baskin Robbins. Oh. There were two things, actually, we talked about. But the, one of them is. I talked. I kept talking about how I, I've brought this up a million times on the show. That in Canada, I used to get orange ice cream all the time. So yes, and, and friends, could you make it? Could, could you actually define that? People may hear you say that and think it's sherbet. It's not sherbet, right? It's not sherbet. It's actually orange ice cream. So it has the creamy texture of like vanilla ice cream, mm-hmm. but it's orange flavored. And for some reason, in the United States is very difficult to find. So I mentioned it to Kate, who's part of a couple, Kate and Bunky, who I visited with, and uh, so she had brought some over for me. Oh my and God! Where did she get it? But she had made it. Wow! She, she makes ice cream. She made this pistachio ice cream, which was unbelievable. But this orange ice cream was good, and uh, I ate a big part of it. But I didn't. It's not quite the creamy texture, I think, um, 
that I'm looking for, but it's on its way. So I think we might have found this orange ice cream thing. Might be a new thing for the summer, John. We might have, have we might finally have something we can sell. The other thing is, so as I was talking about Baskin Robbins, and I were laughing about all the stories from um, from me working there as a, a kid in college. And you might remember this because didn't Connecticut? We were we, John and I grew up in Connecticut, and I was saying how because it was a Teamster, and I was working at the the plant there. There was something about taxes, and and they all kind of cocked their heads. They're from Maryland and D.C. area, so this was foreign to them. That I said in Connecticut as a college kid, wasn't there some tax break that we didn't have to pay taxes or something to a certain amount of money if you're going to college? Or is that my imagination? I don't think that's your imagination, and I have a vague memory of that. And Oddly, this hooks into something I was kind of puzzled by. Have you ever gone to Social Security Administration and logged in to see your account? Have you looked at your earnings and how far back they go? Because mine actually go back to high school, or at least in that zone. And the only reported income was like $500. I think you had to only report a certain amount because we were under that threshold of minimum. But since you were a union member, you had to pay dues, right? I had to pay dues, which were only 100 I think they were $110. But it's certainly, you're exactly right. Now that I think about it, it does not show the income that no. I made at Baskin-Robbins because I made, one year I made a lot of money. Remember, I bought that Volkswagen Scirocco and then paid my college and we were drinking Heineken. I mean, that was yeah. a big deal that year. You were, yeah. So that Was, was that the white Scirocco that replaced the orange Vega? Right. I mean, I was making $33 an hour in like 1984. Oh. You, right? had, so, you had the cream of the jobs, boy. Right. So, but I was trying to, I, they were like, you're making it up. And then they all kind of looked at me cockeyed, but I, I said, I was trying to remember I, I've tried to Google it to see, but there was something I remember about us not having to pay some sort of tax. Maybe I'm just, no, maybe it was my imagination. I remember but. that what I earned, I could literally count on in the savings account when I yeah. went to school. I don't remember filing taxes, uh, as a, as a high, like high school, early college. I just college don't, kid. I just yeah. don't remember doing that. So I think you're onto something. And on the orange ice cream front, did, do you think that there's a issue with like heavy cream or how she did something that might have a, a texture thing? Yeah. Or, the, you know, there was, and I don't know the exact name I should know because I worked in the plant, but there's something about the, last, the elasticity. So the dextrose mm-hmm. or so, something yeah. about the. It's a consistency. Um, yeah. About the, the, uh, and, and it happens with, if you've ever eaten any of the premium ice creams, like a Ben and Jerry's or something, how. The warmer, it, the more it gets toward room temperature, the more it has that kind of very silky texture. Mm-hmm. There is something about that. This had a little bit of icy, icy to it, still um, a little more crystally than creamy. Um, you know, which may be one of the issues with why they don't make orange ice cream, because I can imagine, or citrus flavored ice creams we don't really have in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Think about it. We don't do lemon sherbets or gelatos, do but not ice cream. Yeah. Yeah. So there must be something to it. But uh, she was bound determined to do it, which I loved because she's like, okay, that's a challenge. And she has this ice cream maker and she makes all kinds of great ice creams. The pistachio was the best pistachio ice cream I'd ever had. Did she do mint with it too? What's that? Was it like greenish? Did she do mint with it? No, she didn't use any. Just plain old pistachio. Just pistachio. So it was a white ice cream with pistachios in it. And um, it was was delicious. It was really, really quite good. I want key lime. I want key lime pie ice cream. Really? Well, that would be interesting. Because you're, you're orange. I could do I could do a, a lemon. Imagine an ice cream flavor lemon meringue pie. I could do that one too. Key lime or lemon meringue. And you know something? When we did the ice cream tour a couple of years ago, one of our most popular shows, by the way, <laughs> was Tim and found the 
the ice cream tour. You, you toured dairies in Pennsylvania, and if you did enough of them, you got an ice cream scoop, and it's still one of my favorite T-shirts. But we took Brian Roman from AdMark 360. You guys had mapped out each day. We did two days. Right. We, we had And Tim had this theory that the we had to test the vanilla ice cream at every single uh, ice cream and dairy place we went to, and we had some amazing ice cream, especially out in the Amish country, right? Right. Yeah, it was quite good. But never there, there did was we a see lemon orange. ice cream though. There was we, a lemon Oreo mm-hmm. ice cream. There was lemon yeah. Oreo. That was an odd flavor. That was one of the first ones we went to. Right. It was kind of yeah. outside Philly. Yeah. But no orange. No orange. But the vanilla's right. I mean, we and we all agreed the um, the place that had the kitty cats that you liked Love was the best ice cream. And, Beautiful, uh, Beautiful farm, clean farm. Holland, Holland, Pennsylvania, uh-huh. which is right in the part of Amish country. And uh, you could have eaten off the floor on the way in on the driveway there. It was so clean, remember? So, and the woman behind the counter, she was in her Amish shop, but she was so fun and polite, and we were having a ball. And by the time that trip ended, though, I didn't eat ice cream for, <laughs> for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they did another one. So Pennsylvania released another one, another trip for a different section of the state. Hmm. And uh, I thought it would be fun to do again, but um, we d- and we crammed it all in in two days, which. Oh, uh, and let's not forget, <laughs> I, I think I did a hundred and whatever degree. Thank you. I was going to mention it. We drove in my all track wagon. I did the most of the driving. And I remember you, you and Brian, none of us do great with heat and humidity, but we happened to go on like a heat wave week. Right. And we get out of the car it was like 102. And we get Oof. in, you're like, crank that air condition in Nash. <laughs> Because well, you, you don't like a lot of air. No, no, I'm not a big air AC like Aretha fan. Like a Franklin. Oh my God! Yeah, you know, we've told people that story. Tim invited yeah, me you, once to see. Yeah, uh, you don't like a, you don't like any air. Yeah, Tim invited me once to see her perform at VH1 Divas at Radio City Music Hall. It was an incredible night. They had cocktails and hors d'oeuvres on each balcony of Radio City, but all the doors to the concert hall were closed. They were sealed tight. They opened them to let people in. It was like a rush of Arctic air. Everybody's like, "Oh my God, this is amazing." That was it because they turned the AC off because she has a contractual uh, thing that she can't sing with AC. It bothers her. And so about 50, well, about half, 45 minutes into the concert, I remember you and me and the comrade were sitting there like, it's going to get worse from here. And it got hotter and hotter. And And at the end of the show, Tim, you wiped your brow. You're like, we're out. We're out. She has something where they, they they had the hallway. I was talking to one of the stage people. They had the hallway up to 110 degrees. In order for her to leave the dressing room, because she, you know, she doesn't want her vocal cords to. Uh, that's her. That's her money maker, right? And she did. Yeah. She knocked it out of the park. She was a wonderful performer. Yeah. So yeah, here we are on the way to Christmas. Way to Christmas. So what? Uh, what caught your eye this week? What caught your eye? Here's what Tim and John found. I thought I was going to be the only person in the world doing this, but I just heard it on the news a minute ago. So maybe some of you have heard of this, but this is a classic Tim and John thing, in my opinion. Uh, so basically the headline is a professor puts clues to a cash prize in his syllabus and none of his students noticed. Uh-oh. A professor at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, Kenyon Wilson, he's a music, he teaches a music class. He put a new syllabus together and he informed his 70 students that they should really read carefully through the syllabus because he put some new things in there. And what he basically says is he knows this because, and Free, so he says in the syllabus, like second page, free to the first two, uh, free to the first who claims locker 147, combination 15, 25, 35. Read the passage in the syllabus, but when the semester ended on December 8th, students went home and the cash was unclaimed. Let me put that picture up. 
Um, my semester-long experiment is at an end, Mr. <laughs> Wilson wrote, and uh, he retrieved the treasure. No one got it. He says, I'm trying to do creative things and, you know, make it interesting. The syllabus is a really dry document. It's not support. It's not supposed to be exciting to be read, but I thought if my students are going to read, be thorough and read it, I might as well reward them. <laughs> So he did this. No one paid attention to it. And uh, now that they know about it, though, they want him to do more things, which is kind of funny. So, yeah, that's that's what uh, kind of caught my eye here is the this this reminded me of was it um, I want to say it was Van Halen uh, that used to put in their contract that they didn't have they didn't like brown M&Ms or something. And they did that on purpose to make sure that people read all the safety requirements for the band. Right. Yeah, it's exactly right. Van Halen used to, it was famous. They would, they would show up to a gig or show up to their concert and they would look immediately into the dressing room. And if they wanted M&Ms and if there were brown M&Ms, they realized that the instructions weren't read properly for the rigging and everything for the stage. So they knew that they immediately needed to, um, it wasn't going to be safe because buried in there was, you know, no brown M&Ms. <laughs> So if they didn't find that there was no brown M&Ms in there, they obviously didn't read all the instructions about putting the rigging together for the concert, which is a smart thing to do. Yeah. So and and this is sort of in that vein where you, you read it, but you don't read it. And so once he alerted everybody that he had done this on Facebook, all his students felt like they'd been bamboozled or they felt kind of stupid. Like, why don't we read this? And everybody's like, hey, do it again. And he says, no, the jig is up. There's no way I can duplicate what I did. And I happen, yeah, you to, can't do it again. I happen to agree do with it again. That. Yeah, it's 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 a one and done, right? He hit it. You didn't find it. You didn't get your 50 bucks there. <laughs> we had a professor that did something like this. and said same same thing. Read, you know, read the whole syllabus or read everything first before you start the work. And then we'll discuss it. And at the very end, the last thing was, you know, have a nice none, all of this is um, essentially it said don't do any of the work that you all just read take the take the day off have a nice holiday sort of thing <laughs> but people immediately started doing like it was you know do this do this there were like 10 things to do that you had to do and then you could leave and uh, but if you read all the way through it's like um congratulations you know don't do any of the above nine items you know see you next semester sort of thing mm -hmm. but um yeah but if you didn't read like because i i remember some people they were telling about it how some people were diligently working but then other people are just like folding up their books and leaving <laughs> And so people they read figure, it. How are they getting done? How did they finish this list so quick? You know, so it was, you know, and uh, but yeah, that's a, that's a good experiment to do. I think that we should be remind people should do this on a periodic basis to remind us to pay closer attention to stuff that we should be paying attention to. I know the syllabus is a dry doc. You and I use, and the professor himself said people look at it for due dates and how am I grading you? They don't necessarily yep. look for there's there's a $50 bill in a locker. Here's the combination. <laughs> Listen, right. This is um, something we probably would have done uh, when we did Tim's List back in the day or some of our famous parties we used to have mm -hmm. in uh, Sirius XM when you and I would throw our big holiday parties, which people on Facebook have mentioned. If you go to Focus Group Radio, sometimes on our Facebook page, people have posted some memories of our, our past parties from the back Manhattan's in the day. Manhattan's flowed. When we could gather. But I saw this. This was, from, this was in the USA Today, and Google had shared with um, the USA Today readers the favorite Christmas cookie searches and for each state so these are the you know what each state's uh, people were searching in terms of uh, favorite cookies for recipes or for cooking so they said it was interesting to see how different regions of the u.s seem to be interested in different types of cookies for instance on the east coast they seem to favor internationally inspired cookies 
While the South seemed to be searching for Christmas-flavored treats, I don't quite know what that means. I guess maybe ginger or nutmeg or something. Peppermint, in the Midwest, like candy they were cane, ser- maybe? You know, like, is that Peppermint, a- yeah. yeah. And in the Midwest, they were searching for cookies with alternative ingredients. So the map, uh, so they did a map, and they showed all the different types of cookies. So I thought I would just name a couple. We have uh, a number of states that uh, we have huge listenership in. Um, one of them in particular, Texas. What's the favorite there? So I never heard of this sort of cookie. So the Texas, the most sought after search cookie in Texas was the Christmas cookie ice cream cookie. That's an invention. That that's that, have you, I've never heard of that. I've never heard of that. And if you I love never, it, and if you're in Texas and you happen to love the cookie, we should please send us some because I'd like to know. <laughs> Let us know about it. In California, this uh, Snoopy Christmas cookies. Snoopy. Are, so they are, are they just a plain cookie that's decorated or something, or you can't tell? I'm guessing. Yeah, I'm guessing. Now the California's a big state. Now Connecticut, where we came from, I'm not shocked at all because of you know we know everybody. Italian Christmas cookies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So of course, New Haven with all, you know, peppies. And, and of course, Mrs. Candida would oh, make the most fantastic Christmas cookies. You stole cookies. words out of my mouth. We used to go visit her and Marianne, or Marianne specifically, and then Mrs. C would come out with all her incredible cookies. She always had a plate for us. Remember we got to yeah. take a plate home? Yeah. <laughs> oh, every year. And Marianne, God bless her, Mary, uh, Mrs. Candida has passed, but Marianne um, try, has tried to replicate the cookies. And Mrs. Candida never really had... It's typical of lots of moms, right? They don't, or grandmoms too. They don't necessarily, they might have it written down, but they don't really follow the recipe. And Marianne's been trying to, for years now, replicate her mom's cookies. And she just can't quite get the dough right. And she'll say it. I don't know what my mother did. I'm following the recipe. (laughs) But there's always something that's just not quite, you know, it's not just quite right. It's my mother's the same way. I watched my mother make a meatloaf last time it was up. I'm thinking, this is pretty easy. I've tried four Mm -hmm. or five times. I can't get Mm -hmm. anywhere close. It has to be um, the mother's love. It must be that secret, right? And Mrs. C, yeah. she she took pride in those. I'm not surprised that every little piece wasn't written down somewhere. So New York, let's see. New York is a uh, um, is probably also Italian, I guess, maybe Italian themed um, Christmas cookies with uh, um, <laughs> a a n i s e anisette anisette. Yeah, I was going to say anus. But... <laughs> That'd be funny. Um, <laughs> where, you know, where, where, which where are is... Italian? Which are kind of Italian? And Pennsylvania Italian cookies as well, which is. But where are like, like snick, snickerdoodles and gingerbread and sugar cookies? Are they somewhere else in the country? Well, let's see. Let me look here. So South Dakota was not a big listenership, but keto Christmas cookies. Never heard of that. Oh, keto is like yeah for the dieting stuff. Yeah. Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, um, Italian Christmas cookies, Oregon lemon Christmas mm, cookies, okay. Oklahoma cookie fudge, Ohio snowball cookies. Uh, New York, as you said, we said uh, New Jersey, also Italian. So, yeah, the East Coast is big on the uh, Italian cookies. Um, Minnesota, gluten free. <laughs> these, this is not my definition of a, keto or gluten free is not my definition. Right. I appreciate them, but Christmas Mass- cookies Mass- are yeah. indulgent, right? What is Massachusetts? Massachusetts Swedish cookies, Maryland Greek, hmm. um, Indiana, Illinois chocolate crinkle cookies, Indiana Christmas cookie fudge. Hmm. M&M Christmas cookies in Kansas. I'll take that. That is a delicious cookie. My grandmother used to make M&M cookies, yeah. Idaho, peppermint Christmas cookies. Hawaii, cherry Christmas cookies. That's interesting. Wow. Georgia, Christmas rice crispy treats. 
that's different. Mm, um, Florida Hershey kisses. Right, Hershey kisses Christmas cookies in Florida, where I'm in Delaware. Chocolate crinkle cookies. I don't quite know what that is. So hold on, hold on. When you were growing up and your mom made cookies, I am betting you had you had peanut butter cookies, you yep. had gingerbread. You had chocolate chip, maybe M&M cookies, maybe ginger snaps or something like that. My mother that. did those spritz cookies you know, oh, with, the, with yeah. the gun, with the sprinkles. We did those. Yeah, I love those. But I don't see any of that on here. Washington State vegan Christmas cookies with all the lesbians, I guess, up there. Speaking of lesbians, but did I tell you I made yogurt? <laughs> what does one have to do with the other, may I ask? I'm thinking, of, well, vegan. I'm thinking vegan, vegan Christmas okay. cookies, yogurt. Somebody else said that to me, too. With the woman who made the orange ice cream, I said, I made yogurt like a lesbian. She goes, what does lesbians have to do with yogurt? yogurt I, yeah. I always picture lesbians making yogurt, don't you? No, I don't. But that's your world. So <laughs> Anyway, Richard made fun of me. So he accused me of buying it. But I thought it tasted pretty darn good. I made my own yogurt. Okay. I'm going to make some for you. <laughs> um, Please, anyway, do. So that's, Please do. So that's what uh, well, well, I'll post this article and you can take a I think we hit most of the states. And, I uh, am really surprised I didn't hear you. some of the classics, though. I'm, I, You're right, though. There's no peanut butter on here at all. And, and gingerbread. I no love gingerbread. No ginger, we bought gingerbread cookies over the weekend at the the grocery store. They're little guys. Ginger ginger people, I guess. Uh, well, no, look, see, well, I said, well, if, that, if you listen to if you listen to this week's unbuttoned TFG unbuttoned, yeah. we have a whole thing about gingerbread men versus gingerbread cookies. And then you know, do you remember building gingerbread houses? I always wanted to. I always fantasized about having a party where everybody builds a little house, but I never built one. Oh, we did it. It, it. And then they sat around for a while, and then we wanted to eat them. And my mom was like, no, you are not. We're like, why not? It's a cookie. My grandfather let us eat the chimney one year, and then that was about it. And they were. it was it was like eating cardboard, to be honest with you, because it sat around for like a long time. It would dry it out and <laughs> look good, but... See, like, I think you can make them now with a bunch, just buy a bunch of graham crackers and do it. Do you know Bob's, would... Bob's last job, his fantasy job, his, uh, he loved this company, PVH. He, um, they had his department go to a special place and they had a whole gingerbread house bakery thing. They were teams. Ooh. They all, each team built a, a beautiful little thing and they were hilarious. And he's like, guess where I am? I'm building gingerbread houses. I'm like, guess where I am? I'm, I'm typing away and my fingers are bleeding. I'm working so hard. Anyway. <laughs> they had gingerbread houses, yeah. huh? That's pretty cool. So, hey, um, let's see. Where are we going now? We're going to our friends at Deep Discount. Aren't you we, got Mr. it. Nash? Yep. Yeah, everybody knows uh, friends of ours here at Deep Discount. It's the uh, last-minute gift idea sale still going on. And uh, if you head over to focusgroupradio.com, you can click on the Deep Discount logo and start shopping away. And uh, there's still time to get uh, that last-minute gift or uh, have something for the new year to celebrate. So, uh, Mr. Nash, what did you find this uh this week so um last week i had lunch with a, a a friend who and we ended up we ended the lunch talking about favorite movies it's one of my favorite topics is to ask somebody like what their favorite movie of all time is and when someone answers really quickly i know i might need to pay attention to the movie he answered this um and the movie is called night the night of the hunter and it's robert mitchum and uh it's the only movie that the actor charles lawton ever directed in his career and they call it a standalone masterwork, a horror movie with qualities of a grim fairy tale. It stars a sublimely sinister Robert Mitchum, starring Cape Fear, the friends of Eddie Coyle, as a traveling preacher named Henry Harry Powell, um, whose nefarious motives for marrying a fragile widow played by Shelley Winters, and this is a thin, young Shelley Winters before she did Poseidon Adventure, 
are uncovered by her terrified young children. Um, graced by images of eerie beauty and a sneaky sense of humor, this ethereal expressionistic American classic, also featuring the contributions of actress Lillian Gish and writer James Aggie, is cinema's quirkiest rendering of the battle between good and evil. I don't remember seeing it, so I put it on my list, and the minute I knew that Criterion made it or had it in their library, I'm like, aha, I think I need to check this out. So I'm doing uh, The Night of the Hunter. Night of the Hunter. Cool. I um, I picked out something that I mentioned. We've talked about it on the show a million times, but it's been on back order, and it's not now. So you should grab it. It's such uh, a great price, too, Tim. <laughs> yeah. See, I love I love Lucy complete series, and uh, which means it's five thousand three hundred ninety eight minutes long. It's uh, from Paramount. It's thirty three discs. It has every I love Lucy um, episode, and uh, as well as the uh, I believe there's the uh, Lucy Desi Comedy Hour which um, includes um, six of those as well. I'm, I'm sorry, it includes, I, I believe there's, I think there's three seasons of that, of the Comedy Hour, which are really cool. So those are one-hour specials that they would do, and even more famous people from when they lived in Connecticut. But you can get it at a deep discount, and it's, uh, I remember I bought it many years ago for close to $100. Right now it's at... Um, thirty-four ninety-nine. For thirty four ninety nine, so you can't beat it. No. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, it was on back order, and now it shows that it's available again. So you should you should rush and get that if you're an I Love Lucy fan. I highly recommend this because if you are a completist as well, this has every single episode. You some of yeah. the streaming services are missing a few for licensing re- licensing reasons. I have no idea why, but I'm going to get this this year. Thank you for um, making sure it's off back order because I love Lucy. <laughs> And the uh, new release this week is a movie I was dying to see in theaters because I'm a huge James Bond fan. It's No Time to Die, the final installment of Daniel Craig as the uh, the titular James Bond. And uh, let's see what it says here when I read the description. Uh, the 25th official outing for cinema's most beloved secret agent follows James Bond, Daniel Craig, as he's called out of a five-year retirement in order to track down a missing scientist. Not only will he have to face revenge-driven terrorists, who, uh, who's played by Rami Malek. I think his name is Lucifer Safin. It sounds like Lucifer. Bond will also be forced to work with Nomi, the agent given the 007 des- designation in his absence. Because, you know, that 007 thing moves around the different people in the agency right. as they age. So this was one I wanted to desperately see in theaters when it came out because I thought this is the film, you know, this is a good film to see in the movie theater. Just when I was going to go see it, it left. So it's on my list at twenty four ninety nine. It's a Blu-ray. So, uh, recapping, it is the um, last minute sale, and maybe it's the last minute prior to New, or maybe it's, we want a New Year's uh, movie sale, right? So, go to deepdiscount.com. You get there by going to focusgroupradio.com, clicking on our logo. Hey, Tim, right there was Lucy on the, the homepage. I picked uh, The Night of the Hunter, part of the Criterion Collection, starring Robert Mitchum and Shelley Winters. It's supposed to be great, it's part of the Criterion, so it must be. Tim has found that I Love Lucy, the complete series, is now off back order, and it is DVD $34.99 for, as Tim said very humorously, 5,398 minutes. God, she was a powerhouse, right? And the release this week is James Bond, No Time to Die, Daniel Craig's final outing as the uh, the, the master spy. So there you go. Uh, we are going to take a super quick break, and when we come back, we have business birthday some other things, and shop talk. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Focus Group with Tim and John 
Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. Now back to the focus group with Tim and John. Available pretty much everywhere. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. It's uh, Tim Bennett here with uh, my good friend and co-host, Mr. John Nash. And uh, this is the second part of our show here, which we do our business birthday. And we also are going to do some shop talk. And uh, is there anything else? Yeah. Prior to that, though, we are going around the globe to one of Tim's favorite countries. That. That can only mean one thing. It's news from the workers' paradise, John. <laughs> so, now, first, you have to tell us his name again. His his new title. Well, the, well, I well, there's a number of titles, but it's the uh, anointed it one, weight, the highest one. What was the? Well, it could be the weight watching tyrant Kim Jong Un. <laughs> it could be chubby Kim Jong Un. It could be the great sage. It could be the dear leader. I mean, it depends on the day. But uh, there's lots. There's been lots of North Korean news lately. John had found something. Or one of our our listener and 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 uh, Fort Worth had said he likes this. And so John had found a story and then I had found two other quickies that have just happened as Excellent. well. In Korea. So Excellent. let's, uh, let's cover the North Korean news while, uh, while we're, we're at it here. So the first one was, this has happened in October. Apparently there's a food shortage in North Korea. I don't know if you know that it's been going on for quite some time, but, uh, so the, the, uh, as they said, the weight watcher tyrant, uh, Kim Jong Un has come up with a great, un- great idea very unexpected solution to the North Korean food shortage. In case you get hungry, he wants everybody to eat the uh, ornamental black swans that are swimming around Pyongyang. So the Hermit Kingdom has been pushing this. uh, They call them the protein-packed birds as a superfood, and they're going to open an industrial-scale breeding plant for the black swan, which they're saying is delicious meat, has medicinal value, the ruling party says. Um, They push the bird meat. Which is rarely eaten, if ever. They said anywhere else in the world. It's also bad luck in many places, including China. They said, uh, but Kim Jong Un says this is an exceptional healthy food for the 21st century and has such a unique taste and extremely high nutritional value. So, if you're ever interested in uh, enjoying some of the rare ornamental birds, uh, you can head over to the uh, state-sponsored game farm for the black swans and claim some of that meat. It's also anti-cancer properties. They they seem to think too. It's a miracle bird. No no wonder it's it's the deer leader has selected that as a, a food staple. It's a miracle bird. Yeah yeah. They said despite the fact that it is it is taboo to eat the swans around the world, that they think this is going to be a big effort to uh, to help curb the crisis. He's also come up with another brilliant idea. He's also told all the schools and factories and businesses that they they are to garden and raise fish. And other animals on the rooftops or any other unused areas. Uh, I don't know how they're going to do that. He's apparently lost 44 pounds this year um, on his little health kick. And he's smoking a lot more cigarettes, though they're illegal, too, not to be shown in public. So the chubby <laughs> little leader's down 40, 44 pounds. They say he's down to 264 at 5'3 or whatever. Five whatever with his high heels. <laughs> on a good the, day. Uh, so to go along with that, earlier this, earlier this month, North Korea wants to give candies they wants to, to the kids for Kim Jong Un's birthday, so it's his birthday party. 
but they're going to because of the uh, you know tough times in the in the workers' paradise. They want the citizens to pay for all of mm. the uh, for all the production of these things. So North Korea is making the residents pay for the sweets to give to the children on Kim Jong Un's birthday. So the surging prices amid amid the food shortage has led the officials to impose a tax on candy and ingredients. The sweets are a longtime tradition for the Kim's birthdays. So mm-hmm. that's all the Kim's. Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-il, and Kim Il-sung. So it's, it's you know, it's a, it's a December of Kim's and, and confections. The, um, so if you manufacture the sweets, you're going to get a tax, but then you're going to give them to the kids. So Pyongyang is, uh, is working on that. Also asked to donate an egg. Everyone's asked to donate an egg. One. To, one egg. To one egg to the candy and to the uh, candy making effort. It's also I wonder what the collection bins for the eggs look like. Because you see the tossing them in for the leader, for the leader. <laughs> well, it says residents are not happy about asked to chip in, chipping in for the egg. I wouldn't Residents be. are angry that the authorities are wiping out the pockets of the people at a time like this to make candy for children, supposedly for the dear leader's birthday. The birthday tradition has started back in 1994. So, yeah. So that's and then then now recently that this is just this week. Um, North Korea has banned laughing. This is the one you found, John. You're not allowed to laugh for the next 11 days. So if you have plans for Pyongyang for the new year, you better cancel them because there's be no happiness or celebration. This, of course, is an honor of the 10th anniversary. Well, not an honor, but to mark the 10th anniversary of the death of Kim uh, Kim Jong Il's father. Uh, Kim, I'm, I'm sorry, Kim Jong Un's father, Kim Jong Il. So he died, remember, 10 years ago mm-hmm. now. And what's the penalty if you're caught laughing? So, well, if you're caught laughing uh, during this morning period, and also during the morning period, John, there's no drinking of alcohol, there's no laughing, oh no leisure God. activities. Oh, my God, this is, like, bad. But no, you have to get no the candy shopping. and the eggs, the whole bit. Okay. No grocery shopping. Uh, in the past, if you were caught drinking or being intoxicated during the morning period, you would be arrested and treated as an ideological criminal. You were taken away and never seen again, sources say. Uh, even if a family member of yours dies during this morning period, you're not allowed to cry. The body must be taken out after the morning period's over. People cannot even celebrate their own birthdays if it falls within the morning period. <laughs> Meanwhile, slimmed down Kim Jong-un, the despot, dusted off his trendy little black leather coat and stood beneath a big red banner celebrating and honoring the father who died in 2011. North Koreans fell silent. The sirens blared. They bowed their heads. They didn't laugh. And uh, <laughs> in the morning, morning has started. Cars and trains blew their horns. The hermit kingdom came to a standstill <laughs> as if it wasn't standstill already. And uh, many officials were shown marching around the capital, dropping flowers off of the statues. And uh, all is well in the rogue kingdom. So if <laughs> the hermit kingdom, the rogue kingdom, <laughs> you know, so anyway, when you talk about all the trains and trucks and cars stopping, like the subway line stopped, there was only one train running anyway, but it stopped. So, I mean, right. the, news, the newspaper said Kim, Kim Jong-un is indeed the greatest man and the greatest sage of the revolution of all the people and all the lands. And we follow him with deep infection and sincerity. He's reportedly also once again banned citizens copying his fashion choices, and they are still confiscating leather coats despite the fact that it's very cold and the citizens that are wearing any knockoffs have having the coats ripped off them from their backs literally by the actual fashion police sources say so 
So the coats are getting ripped off their backs while they toss an egg into a bin and hand money over to to have candies made to give to the kids. It's all coming out of their pockets. And right they can't they laugh. A, right before they take a bite off this black swan leg. In the hermit kingdom. <laughs> All's well in Pyongyang. John and I were traveling in Brazil, and there was someone there from the State Department. And we had both said we wanted to go to North Korea, and the guy were pl- he was pleading with us not to go, remember? Yes. You I, do not. Please do, do not, not want to go. Do not go there. Do not. Yeah, he you was basically saying, up. he said, if you go, you'll never get out. Don't go. Just please don't go. And he he was a cool guy. And, you know, all right. Are you uh, are you ready to uh, to leave the peninsula? Yes, and, we're done. We're done with North Korea for now. For now. But there's we'll always see, news we'll coming out of that rogue state. Right. All right. Comes next. In that case, business birthday. Everyone does celebrity birthday greetings, but the focus group is the only show in the universe that celebrates business birthdays. So celebrating, well, he would have celebrated if he'd been alive, but uh, on December 22nd, 1857, Austin Norman Palmer was born. He died in 1927 at 66, shy of uh, his 67th birthday, just a month shy of his 67th birthday. An entrepreneur, educator, and publisher, owner of the Cedar Rapids Business College, but most notably known as the founder of the Palmer Method of Handwriting. Mm Hmm. The business so writing, the Palmer method of business writing, or business handwriting, business handwriting, or the Palmer method of handwriting. So Palmer is the man. He revolutionized American handwriting methods. So he was the innovator in the field of penmanship, whose development and widespread distribution of the Palmer method of handwriting had great influence on the handwriting of the Americans' business and education systems. In the early 20th century, the method of handwriting came on the tail of nearly a half century of ornamental writing. And he was able to offer a more simplified, fast, legible, and economic form of writing for the youth and business people of the day. So before he came along, there was they, they said that there were different types of writing where you would use just your fingers, and then you would have to use your whole, almost your whole body and do swirls. And you know, when you look at the Declaration of Independence, you could see where they did all that kind of swirly stuff. And he would say he would watch people have to do this in the eighteen, you know, late eighteen hundreds, and how it took such effort for them to do all this kind of ornamental swirling and stuff with the writing, with the flourishes. And this was before typewriters, and everything had to be hand copied, and particularly in business forms. So he said it would be far more efficient if there was a more economical and easier way for writing. So he developed this new writing method, which then became adopted. So they said he found work as a penman in Cedar Rapids. And uh, he was a teacher, and he, as he was a teacher, he was also hand-copying business letters and forms before typewriters were common. He began to experiment with a strictly Spencerian, he called it, script that he had been taught, and he soon developed a less ornate, more rapid, and more relaxed style of writing, better suited for business. He joined forces with a person named uh, S.H. Goodyear, and they opened the Cedar Rapids Business College, where they began to teach their method of what they called muscular writing. So-called because it emphasized using the whole arm movement oh, rather, okay. rather than rather than finger straining for movements as previous. Uh, this this penmans, is the one that comes from uh, the elbow. You you evol- this is the guy that in oh, wow this is interesting. Yeah. Okay, so by 1884 he launched his own magazine called Western Penman to further spread the news about handwriting, but it didn't really take off. It wasn't until he was hired by. Uh, by a school system in New York City. So in 1904, he was, uh, I'm sorry, and, and um, let's see, at the turn of the century, he was trying to get this method into the public school system. 
and uh, which had been widely adopted by parochial schools. But um, he, in 1904, went and uh, went to a penmanship exhibit, of all things, in St. Louis. And an official from the New York City school system was there. And he asked him to teach the system to the New York City schools. And as a result, um, it was so well received, he ended up moving his office to New York City. And because of New York then adopted his method, um, and not, by 1907, the, uh, this uh, Palmer method spread throughout the United States. So it, uh, and, and so it says here, in, in uh, 1888, he published the first edition of Palmer's Guide to Muscular Movement and Writing, in which we find the first definition of muscular movement. In the introduction, he says, the movement of muscles of the arm from the shoulder to the wrist, mm-hmm. while keeping the fleshy portion of your arm just forward of the elbow, stationary on the desk, the movement should be used in all capital letters and small letters except the extended stem and loop where a slight extension and contraction of the fingers holding the pen is permissible. This definition shows that as early as 1888, the teaching principles of the new method of writing were well formulated. And this book is still in use today. Um, so it, uh, it goes That's on and on. He, very cool, yeah. by the way. I remember, I remember being taught this. Do you, do you remember being taught this in school? Yeah, about how you're supposed to man. hold your arm and the whole bit, yeah. So they they talked about how he had um, so he turned this into obviously a much uh, a much bigger thing as as it spread across the country and he had people going out teaching all these different school systems and the Palmer method and he had books he had pens he had uh, textbooks he had notebooks special papers tablets and so forth that uh, went along with this this teaching method at its peak he had publishing plants in new york chicago portland boston philadelphia and atlanta wow in addition to cedar rapids he revolutionized american handwriting of course uh they said he died in new york city but buried in uh, cedar rapids after a brief illness by the time of his death millions of americans had learned his writing system his most influential book still the palmer method of business writing first published in 1901 remains the seminal American penmanship work of today. Wow. I, I love this business birthday. We have never encountered him. I mean, now that we know, I know the method, I was taught the method, but I don't think we've ever done him before. It's just, it's, no. it's fascinating. No, I found him actually, I went to a Canadian site about <laughs> um, business birthday people or whatever, and he popped up on a Canadian site. So it was interesting that uh, he showed up there. You're right. We've never used, we've never um, come across him before. So, Excellent call sir. there. Excellent call. It looks like we have sir. a little bit of time for some two quick shop talks if you want. We spent a little more shop time in, it, we spent a little time in the hermit kingdom, but I think it was well worth it because it's good to learn what's going on in other parts of the world. <laughs> little parts of the world. So in our shop talks today, we have two 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 quick hits here. First one we might have talked about or mentioned before, but um guy named uh, ex-British CEO named Steve Easterbrook from McDonald's. I saw this headline. It says McDonald's claws back $105 million severance payment from the British ex-CEO Steve Easterbrook. Essentially, uh, this guy was the CEO of McDonald's, and he got caught um, having a, a consensual relationship with an employee, apparently. But he was dumb enough to use the um, computer and the email of the corporation to send you know, new texts and videos, I guess, with the employee. And they let him go. He admitted to it and let him go. And then if they found out a year or two later, this was in 2018, mm-hmm. they found out in the ensuing, what, one or two years, that in fact he actually had physical affairs Multiple. with two other people. Right? They, found out, they found out he lied. So what Tim is getting at is 
they were like, okay, you got your hand in the cookie jar. It was it was consensual, but there was no affair and there was no physical contact. He was let go, given this enormous severance package. Then they're like, they do more detail work. More people come forward, and bum bum. Turns out he lied, and there was a number of consensual affairs. And when Tim and I were talking about this before coming on the air, I said, Tim, he sent nude pictures, videos, and all this stuff over company email. And folks, just to remind you, if it's your company email, it's not your property. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, so McDonald's went back, and they, they're going to claw back th- settlement monies and, and severance pay. And it's at, what's the tune of $105 million, right? $105 million. yeah. You know, it's it's I I'm constantly amazed by the stupidity of these senior senior um, executives that do these sort of things. First of all, to have that kind of can you imagine having that kind of how do you first of all, I I just can't even fathom yeah, that you same here, same get here. fired from a company and you and get you get million, hundreds million. of millions of dollars. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, John ten- and I knew of a story of a guy. Oof. We won't say um, anything more than we knew a story of a guy who was doing something similar. And when the woman was being reprimanded by HR for not being on time or whatever, and she was trying to explain that the leader of the company kept taking her time, and a text came in from her that said, when when are you, when am I going to eat your pussy again? Remember that? And she holds it up to the HR person. They're like, okay, what do you want? This is back and, in the yeah, back in the age of the BlackBerry. She just holds the BlackBerry up in front of the HR person yeah, and yeah. says, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, How do you want me to handle this? Yeah. Now, yeah. she's no longer there. Of course, she still is. Yeah. But, uh, you know. I love that one. I remember holding that up. How do you want me to handle this? Yeah, when we heard, and that story was told to us, like through the grapevine in confidence. This goes back many, 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 many years. It's not the first time we've heard of this behavior, though. And Tim, you know, you said you you said, why do they act so stupid? It's that, but there's also this arrogance that they're just not going to get caught, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, everybody says you don't, you know. You don't pick up your pussy and your paycheck your pay- in the same place. Right. You don't shit where you eat. I mean, yeah. all the different, you know, acron- all the different phrases about it. But they, no one, they never learn. Never learn. No. Never learn. The, the, other, the other one is uh, another surprising one, but not so surprising considering we both, or we probably all know people that this has happened to. This came from CNN. It says, the data shows that boomers are to blame for the labor shortage. So the myth that's been going around the last probably year, year and a half since the uh, event was that uh, a lot of people were either getting government assistance or they were just uh, too lazy, didn't want to go back to work because it was cheaper to stay home. Mm-hmm. And, there's, and they're saying that's not really what's what the uh, the data doesn't show that. They said actually the worker shortage is actually not, um, not because of quote-unquote lazy millennials or people uh, that are just hanging out and staying home. They said it's because of early retirement, um, whether it's forced or people have decided that because of the Either the great stock market or the fact that uh, home values, property values. But basically what Tim's talking about is people over 55, some of them left the job market and um, they were able to rely on savings investments and stuff like that. The article was a little bit murky on this, but it seems like they're coming back to the job job marketplace, right? Some are, but I know a lot that aren't. Um, some people have taken advantage. In other words, if you had bought your home and you yep. could sell it and made a good deal on your house, and you could probably say, okay, this will take me for a couple of years until I actually could tap into my um, retirement funds, um, I'm done. And uh, I know a few people that that, that have decided to uh, to retire earlier get than off the train. originally get thought. Off the train. You know a so, statistic in here that kind of caught my eye and made me an, raised an eyebrow? Another glimmer of hope for hiring managers, FedEx which said the labor shortage cost it 470 million in its most recent quarter 
says the outlook for staffing is improving. Fed, so a staffing shortfalls means that the company's probably paying more in overtime, I'm guessing. So when they say it costs them $470 million, they're probably they probably mean they're paying far more than they should for labor because it's the smaller workforce that has to work longer hours and they're getting overtime, I think. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, there's it's probably that or it's, you know, they've got inefficiencies, right? Because yeah. they have to, uh, you know, they're not uh, being able to deliver what they said because they don't have the workforce. So. Exactly. So Merry Christmas, everybody. Two good stories. And uh, thank you, Tim, for taking us to the Hermit Kingdom. I, I never I never tire. And someday we will ride that subway. We've seen pictures. Tim and I have seen pictures. Chandeliers, escalators. Get off of Paradise. <laughs> like one of the stops called Paradise. That's why that guy from the State Department knew we should never go, because we could never keep a straight face. We, we would well, be, be we'd be in trouble right away. Hey, we want to thank all of you for joining us today and for this past year. It's meant a lot to us that you spend your time with us each week here on uh, the Focus Group or on TFG Unbuttoned, our Tuesday podcast. Remember to uh, visit focusgroupradio.com. That's where all the information about our shows and about us are at, including our partners. And we want to big, big, say a big thank you to Deep Discount for being with us in another year. Last minute sale. Maybe you want to get something you want to watch over the New Year's weekend. Uh, I picked the, what did, what did I pick? Wait a minute. You picked the, the Night uh, of the Hunter. <laughs> the Night of the Hunter. And Tim says the I Love Lucy complete collection on DVD is back in stock for $34.99. The release this week is No Time to Die, a Bond movie that I've been dying to see in the theaters last Daniel Craig outing. So, everyone, have a wonderful holiday, and we will see you in the new year. And thanks again for being part of the Focus Group family. It's The Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Accessible on all platforms. Subscribe, like, and rate us on your platform of choice. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. That was a stunning focus group. 